Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. Today on the show, I welcome Dave Asprey, aka the father of biohacking. And given his extensive list of accomplishments in the biohacking field, this title is more than warranted. And Dave is the founder of Upgrade Labs. He is the innovator behind Bulletproof Coffee and more recently Danger Coffee. He is a four-time New York Times bestselling science author and the host of the annual biohacking conference. I actually hosted the Commune podcast at his biohacking conference last fall. In his latest book, Smarter Not Harder, The Biohacker's Guide to Getting the Body and the Mind You Want, Dave reveals something patently non-instinctual, how to maximize your well-being with minimal effort by taking control of your body's operating system. After endless hours in the gym and trying virtually every crash diet with no results, Dave took the same approach he used to hack his computer iOS and applied them to his human anatomy, or what he calls his meat OS. This led him to work smarter and not harder to achieve better than ever results in less time. In this episode, Dave reviews the five big buckets, the areas that most people want to improve in their life. He explains the laziness principle, that we are biologically designed to be efficient at expending energy, and that our cells fundamentally love to save, and how we can work with this process rather than against it. He shares some of the methods he developed to upgrade his meat OS, including removing things we might already be consuming that slow us down, what to replace them with, and other techniques we can leverage to put us in control of the meat OS and not the other way around. Now, my conversation with Dave was not only fascinating, but dappled with his customary humor. And before we dive in, here's a brief reminder about our Commune course platform. If you're interested in longevity and integrative medicine-based programs with doctors like Mark Hyman, Sarah Gottfried, Kara Fitzgerald, and Roger Schwelt on topics such as gut health, sleep, immunity, hormone balancing, Ayurveda, and nutrition, well, you can sign up for 14 days of free all-access to Commune's entire course library, including more than 100 courses on health, personal growth, and social impact. Just go to onecommune.com slash trial. And I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on your favorite podcatcher. Okay, without further delay, I present to you Dave Asprey. Right, Dave Asprey. Oh man, I'm so happy to be here. Great to be with you. What a treat. Welcome to the Commune Podcast and to my little cabin here in Laurel Canyon. Thank you for coming. It's gorgeous. I, I love all the nature around it. Yeah, I live in a city, but it doesn't feel like I live in a city. It, is, it feels like you're kind of in a jungle. It's really cool. I like it. Yeah. Well, my wife, and this is off, very off topic, but uh, she is obsessed with Costa Rica. Yeah. Oh, of course. Uh, oh, yeah. How we can, and um, she goes and leads yoga retreats two or three times a year. And so she tried to recreate the rainforest in the high desert. <laughs> that explains the feel. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I picked that up. 
And um, so we are on the north side of, uh, I guess that would be the um, the yin side of the hill here. And, um, and so we don't have a, as much direct sunlight this time of year. So it actually allows her to build this beautiful canopy. And then once you build the canopy, you can start to grow underneath and you really start to get that thickness and lushness. So it's, I want to see a coffee plant in there. I know, right? Well, we could. There's a lot of fruit trees. And, you could. Yeah, you probably could do it. All right. Well, we're not here to talk about my landscaping, though I do appreciate that. We're here to talk about your new book, Smarter, Not Harder. Well done. I mean, first of all, I know what that gestation period looks like. Um, so you've, you've summoned the stamina to um, put it together and then obviously get it to the world. So This will be my fifth New York Times bestseller. Well done. Um, I have a somewhat humorous story to go with it. So speaking of my wife, I guess two days ago, I was reading the book and um, she's like, well, what are you reading? What are you prepping for? I'm like, oh, Dave Asprey has a new book. He's like, she's like, another book? How does he do it? And I was like, <laughs> he's like, well, this guy's got some real brain power. He's like, she's like, what is it? And I was like, it's, uh, it's a book called Smarter, Not Harder. And she's like, well, good. I have a book suggestion for you right after you're done with that. I was like, what's that? And she gave me this sort of like prurient grin. She said, harder, not smarter. <laughs> Anyways, it's about as, about as profane as my wife gets. I was like, that's pretty good. I know you don't want me to be any smarter, but, you know. I, I, I may have made a Freudian slip or two <laughs> while naming the book right. over the past few interviews. So, sure. yeah. Um, yes, it's a book by Dirk Diggler in another section, <laughs> another section of Barnes and Nobles. Um, all right. So we're here having a conversation. We're leveraging our conscious mind. Um, mm. We're focusing our conscious attention on one another. We're summoning words as symbols for ideas to have a conversation, etc. But there's a lot of other things happening below the crust of consciousness, what I might call. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of uh, bottom-up behaviors, things that are happening involuntarily, the production of energy and all of the byproducts of that process and metabolism and digestion and this kind of soup of hormones and neurotransmitters and neuromodulators and all of these electrical signals shooting around. Like all this miraculous stuff happening... Um, prior to our conscious awareness of it. And there is this intelligence there. Yeah. So what do you call that intelligence and mm -hmm. what are some of its signatures? In, in Smarter Not Harder, I, I introduced this idea of a meat operating system or meat OS. Okay. And it runs your body. It does all sorts of things, some of the things you listed. But the proof that it's there comes out of uh, my neuroscience brain upgrade program. It's called 40 Years of Zen. And we've measured the brain waves of 1,500 high-performance executives and celebrities and athletes and all and have the world's largest database of, of high-performance, high-resolution brain scans. Yeah. So what you find is there's a measure called P300D. And this is a measure of how long between when something happens, like I, I clap my hands, you hear it right away, right? But in reality, there's, for most people, uh, by the time you're middle-aged, about a third of a second between when the sound happens 
And when your brain gets the first electrical sign that the sound got through, not that you understood what it was, just that it got into the brain. So who's in charge in that third of a second that you and I don't even see? Well, there is a consciousness there and it's your body's consciousness. And that's why I call it the meat operating system. And so since we can prove that it's there and we can see that there's a lag time, in fact, the lag time gets longer as you age unless you do some anti-aging things. When you're young, the lag time between reality and your brain knowing something's happening is about a quarter second. And you can measure this. It's one of the aspects of aging. I still have a quarter second response time in my brain because I do a lot of anti-aging and brain training work. But it doesn't really matter what the lag time is because there's always something in there. And that thing, it decides what you get to see. Because imagine if your nervous system that can sense all these things, if it just gave it all to you. It'd be like having a life-size map of Los Angeles. It's <laughs> kind of useless because it's so big you can't use it. Right. So even as I sit here looking at you, I, I'm not really seeing you. I'm seeing an icon of you. Because if I was seeing you, I'd be seeing all of your thoughts and hopes and dreams and all of the little spins of your protons and all of the hormonal levels and all of the various things at different dimensions. And I mean, what the heck? Thank God you're not seeing that, Dave. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I developed that ability once. I mean, I, I put it back. <laughs> right. By the way, nice underwear. Yeah, flood, yeah. <laughs> I don't want you to have floodlight consciousness at this very moment. No. It, it would be actually not just overwhelming, it would be useless. So a system has to do this. And I am a computer hacker. I design complex distributed systems for a living in the first half of my career. And you realize the elegance of the fact that, you know, we, we can see each other, we can see this table, uh, but that's not actually what they are. Just like when you open up your phone and you, you know, touch an icon for a web browser, you don't see the electrons flow between your finger and the screen. Yeah. You don't see all the requests. You don't see the backend infrastructure. You just know it's there and it works. Our whole reality is like that. That means we can edit and hack and upgrade the system that is telling us what reality is. And when you do that, that's a part of biohacking. And I started the biohacking movement a little bit more than 10 years ago. And it's become a global thing because we want control of our own biology. Just a lot of that control is via invisible systems. They're invisible by design, but they're in there. Yeah, the, the metaphor that I often use is the headlights on a car. So they're shining at something. Mm -hmm. And that is where we're focusing our conscious attention. So we're able to sort of perceive reality in these blips and blobs. But we don't see any of the wiring behind the, the headlight or yes. the battery connected to the wiring. And that's kind of where this OS is, is happening. If we're going to play this metaphor out a bit, but, um, and I think it's, it's once we get curious and I think there's a photo of, of you next to curious in the dictionary um, <laughs> is once we get curious, we start to actually understand what these adaptive mechanisms are and then get in their flow, essentially leverage them for our own benefit. Um, but one of the um, sort of curious, I'll use it in another sense, um, assertions that you make in the book is not particularly instinctual about the nature of this operating system. Yes, it is driven by biological imperatives, right? So mm -hmm. survival and procreation, whatnot. I've already procreated three times, so 
now it's just survival. Right, right. <laughs> but there is an inherent laziness to it. Mm-hmm. And so explain what you mean by this laziness <laughs> principle, because it's not instinctual, right? It actually makes people really uncomfortable and angry to talk about this because we have so much <laughs> shame around being lazy. Right. And oh, let's face it, every great innovation that we've ever made as a species was driven by laziness. Hmm. Right? I didn't want to cook, therefore someone invented DoorDash or whatever the heck app you use. <laughs> I was cold and I was tired of shivering, so I invented blankets. I didn't want to feed my horse, so I invented a car. I didn't want to send a letter, so I picked up a phone. <laughs> All human progress is because, like, I don't want to do that. That's laziness. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong. In fact, I would argue you have a moral obligation to save energy and time, mm -hmm. which frees up your ability to evolve yourself and to serve your community and to do things that are fun and bring you happiness and joy. Mm. Yeah, but because we've we've become ashamed that our system is biologically designed, don't burn more energy than necessary because you might starve. That's into our operating system. And that's worked for 2 billion years for every life form on earth, whether it's a tree or whether it's a mouse, it doesn't matter. We all follow those rules. And because we're humans, we recognize that sometimes when we want to do something, but our body doesn't want us to do it because it's lazy, which is a good thing for survival, then we believe we are our bodies. So then we feel guilty about this drive. And then we think we're bad people and original sinners. <laughs> and we start flogging ourselves and doing all sorts of weird stuff. Maybe we could just say that is a sacred part of being human. And therefore, let's use that as motivation. And what we've always done is said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to read B.J. Fogg's book on habit formation. Right. I'm going to form a habit to overcome my inner laziness. And then I'm going to build up willpower and grit. I'm going to chug my pre-workout. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm just going to muscle through it. Okay. I've been an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. I have done this for a lot of my life. You can do it, but your meat operating system, that's the one that makes the electricity that powers your willpower. And when you punch it in the face long enough, do you think it's going to give you more power to do that? No, it will always win in the long term. This is why caloric restriction over long periods of time never works or drives people crazy <laughs> because the operating system really is in charge. So what if instead we said, huh, our bodies love to save. Let's motivate ourselves that way. And the laziness principle in here works amazingly well. And I'm pretty sure you've maybe seen this at some point in your marriage. Uh, so does your wife like, I don't know, handbags, maybe shoes, very particular ones. Oh, of course this is perfect. <laughs> so there might've been a conversation where uh, she comes home and she says, you know, I saved $400 on these Louis Vuitton or whatever, Louis, whatever the guy's name is Louis something. What Dana, what is that? Louis who? Louis, what the shoes? Uh, Vuitton, I think hey, Louis Vuitton. Yeah, I think you're on the right track. I'm a very yeah. fashionable guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah obviously. Uh, so anyway, the uh, Louis Vuitton. No, there's some other kind of shoes. Jimmy Choo. Yeah, there we go. Jimmy, Jimmy Choo. Choo. All right. All right. So whatever. Some kind of expensive yeah. shoes that all of my women friends like. So, um, she comes home and says, "I saved four hundred dollars on these shoes." You, you've heard that? Okay. Sure. Great job. Have you ever heard her come home and say, "I spent X amount on these shoes"? No. This is, this is not a semantic choice that no. she's opted for. It's her operating system. Because yeah. saving is more valuable than exerting, than spending. Mm. 
So if you know this about your meat operating system and you know that it will naturally move towards things that it's wired to do without sucking your energy, what if instead of saying, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour today, you were to say, I'm going to save 45 minutes by only going to the gym for 15 minutes and doing it better. And in Smarter Not Harder, mm. I'm teaching people not just gym stuff, but all sorts of different things across the five big parts of health and fitness and happiness that people want. Here's the things that science shows work way better than our, than our standards, which are pick up rocks and run away from tigers. All exercise is that today. We just know a lot more now <laughs> because of AI. So yeah. I'm gonna teach you to motivate yourself by not exercising because the small amounts of things you're doing work better than the hard things you used to do. So you've got the motivation and you've got the tools in the same book. We sanctify this, uh, you know, notion of like nose to the grindstone, right? <laughs> I mean, I was that guy forever. Oh too. yeah. I mean, I'm, I know you were too. You know, we would go to the gym, you know, to justify our existence for, right. you know, 90 minutes and, and huff it out on the elliptical. And now I go to the gym still mm -hmm. and I watch the people uh, that are there on the elliptical before, you know, I arrive. And by the time I leave, they're still on the elliptical. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem to be working for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to cast any negative judgments no, on anyone. This it's is not, not a yeah. negative judgment. Yeah. It's the same thing when people have done my 400th ayahuasca ceremony. It's like, at what point do you notice that that's not working? And, <laughs> and I, I have a story about right. that. In fact, it's one of my motivations for writing this book. When I weighed 300 pounds in my 20s, said there's nothing more important than losing this weight. And I know, of course I was wrong, but I know that if I just could work out more and eat less, go on a low fat, low calorie diet, and I just make that my biggest thing, I will lose weight because, you know, there's Newton's law, calories in, calories out, which, which is just right. a mean myth spread by people who've never been fat. So, <laughs> right, to make us feel bad. Exactly. Like, Jesus. And no, a Diet Coke doesn't cancel out a Snickers bar. It, it, it just doesn't work that way, no matter how much you yell at people online about it. Yeah. So, well, food is information. It's it, not just calories. It is information. But, yeah. But I decided I was going to do this. So for 18 months straight, 702 hours in the gym, which is almost a half a year of full-time work, uh, I went to the gym. Half weights, half cardio, six days a week, skipped Sundays. And at the end of this time, I still weigh 300 pounds, and I still have a 46-inch waist. I could max out all but two of the machines. I was stronger, but I didn't lose the weight. And I thought to myself, well, I'm at Carl's Jr. I'm with my friends. They're all thin. And they're eating double Western bacon cheeseburgers with extra onion rings. And I'm eating the chicken salad with no dressing. Oh, and no chicken because it's had too many calories. Like maybe I'm eating too much lettuce. Or maybe yeah. what I'm doing actually doesn't work. And, and that was a big epiphany for me. If I'd have known what's in Smarter Not Harder, I could have done what I, what I wanted to do, which was lose the weight and get the physical fitness and just get my brain back was the most important thing. Yeah. I could have done that in probably 20 minutes a week. And I could have taken all that extra time and spent it developing my friendships, studying, you know, developing my career, all these things. So right now, the few people who do exercise and just love it, they're getting endorphins, guys, keep it up. Yeah. And the rest of people who exercise and actually hate it and is taken away from their life and their parenting 
and things that, that matter more, but they're doing it because they think it's the only way, there is a much faster way. Mm. And this, this is my revenge for that 702 <laughs> hours. <laughs> well, it's a well-packaged revenge. I'm glad you had a, found a vessel for your resentment. I'm not really that uh, angry. No, <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, and this is not to demonize uh, physical exercise. I mean, I love tennis. I'm a tennis player. That, I love that's play, though. That's play. Yeah, I love the community aspect of it. I love challenging myself to get better. I love actually just the kind of meditative component of it, of essentially aligning my thoughts with my actions. Um, all of that's, all that's beautiful. great, but don't count on it. And you want to lose be, weight. You want to be in shape. Yeah. To be able to play tennis. Right. Right. But you don't necessarily want to have to be in shape to play tennis via something that takes so much time you could never play tennis. Mm -hmm. So I encourage you, go for a hike, go for a bike ride, yeah. do a community activity. Those generally aren't exercise. They don't get a strong enough signal into the body. And you might feel a little bit better, but it's it's tiny, yeah. tiny changes compared to what you can do in a short period of time. Uh, we're up to... And this is a lot of this technology and these ideas, even the five big categories people are looking for in their health, it comes from running Upgrade Labs, which is um, the world's first biohacking facility that I opened underneath Arnold Schwarzenegger's office in Santa Monica almost 10 years ago. Hmm. And I thought, well, I have all this tech that actually improves me, helped me first recover from a chronic fatigue and obesity and all these things, and then to go way beyond what I thought was possible. So I'm just going to open a facility with this. But after almost 10 years of, of working with clients, you realize that there's five big areas people want. Like if mm -hmm. I was to ask you, you want to be healthy, you'd say yes and say, okay, what is health? Yeah. And most people don't know what's your top goal. And, and if you don't have a goal and you don't have the right tools to get to your goal, it doesn't matter. So I teach people the five big buckets, how yeah. to know which one works. Let's do them. What are the five okay. big buckets? The first one is muscle mass. A lot of people say, I would like more muscle. Right. Okay. We can do that three to five times faster than picking up rocks or concentrated rocks in the form of iron plates. Right. And, and I teach people in the book how you can do that stuff at home. That's just more efficient than what you're doing. You don't have to go to upgrade labs. And I'm just going to do a real plug here own and upgrade labs.com because we're franchising across the country. They're opening in many cities right now. Amazing. There's, um, there's cardio. And it turns out strength and cardio are different. And if you say you want to be swole and you want to run a marathon, it's like, actually, no, it doesn't work like that. If you're going to run the marathon, you suppress growth hormone. It doesn't put you in that. So you can choose a mix of the two, right? but they're different. Then a big one for the first time ever, people are asking for stress resilience and, mm. uh, uh, and the ability to manage stress more than they're asking for weight loss. Mm. And it's just happened last year, probably as a result of government imposed policies but yeah so people are saying i want that as part of my life i just i can't handle the stress in my life i, I want to train my operating system to just be more resilient right so you're in the, in that sense you're raising your basal level of resilience essentially uh <clears throat> you're helping your body learn to recover more quickly when it is stressed so okay. you're you're yeah. raising the level of, of things you can handle <clears throat> before you hit disequilibrium before okay. your body's really rocked yeah Okay. So there's strength, strength, <clears throat> cardio, stress, then there's brain. Mm -hmm. I want my brain to work better. And this is absolutely doable. And we're the, the first facility that's rolling neurofeedback out on a national level. So you can yeah. hook a computer to your head and show your brain what it's doing. And then you can learn how to consciously make your brain do what you want. And the final thing in there is, uh, energy. energy. It's energy. And that also is weight loss, but they're the, they're the same thing. If they, yeah. 
Electrons don't go into making fat. They go into your brain. They go into your energy. And surprising numbers of people, including me in my 20s, I would have given anything for energy and brain because those were where I was failing. Yeah, I was fat, <laughs> but I didn't care because if you're fat and you can think, you can think your way out of being fat. But if you're <laughs> fat and you have brain fog, it feels hopeless. Right. And it's also a lot of these <clears throat> diseases that you've talked about, chronic diseases that you've talked about forever are progressive in nature and <clears throat> often the way they present early on is with chronic fatigue and brain fog and a lot of these um, symptoms that, you know, we really want to address and they, they dovetail right with energy. And for me, I mean, I, <clears throat> I know that you've ordered them around your hierarchy in the book in terms of what of those five, which are the most important for you. And uh, I suppose there's a bio-individual component to this. Everyone's going to have a different matrix there. For me, it's energy, but, you know. That, that was a really big finding from Upgrade Labs. And uh, when people go to DaveAsprey.com, you can, you can find info on the book. But I'm also putting up a quiz mm -hmm. where I will help you identify the top goal and then know what tools to use. Even if you don't buy the book, it's, it's a gift. But I'm assuming you probably will, and thank you if you do. The um, the idea is that it is individualized. And, and if you were to go to the gym, they're pretty much going to say, oh, well, what do you want to do? You want to lose some weight? Uh, and then they're going to make you do cardio, which is a terrible way to lose weight, but it's a great way to get tired. Uh, and then they'll <laughs> say, oh, you want to get stronger? You know, let's let's pick up some stuff. And okay, you can do those things. It's, it, isn't, it isn't working very well. And if what your real goal was, and, and there's a few bonus things in here that aren't um, they aren't the primary goals, but their their side effects are their goals that people don't talk about. Um, one of them is sex. There's a lot of people, men and women, who are saying, you know, I wish I wish everything worked the way I wanted it to work, um, or I just thought I had more desire. And there's also people say, I, my sleep is trash. Yeah. I've been in, a sleep hacker for a long time. My favorite URL, sleepwithdave.com. <laughs> That's where I teach people like how to sleep better for free. It's just a gift, like a summary of my knowledge. Yeah, but. I'm sure that gets a lot of visits. It's just, it's this. it's the best URL of my career. I <laughs> but the the idea here is those are side effects. When you do mm -hmm. any of these other five things, <clears throat> those typically get better. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes people f are focused on those. So there's many sections in the book on on those two areas. Uh, but the the big thing to motivate yourself is that if you say okay, in your case, energy is your top one. Well, when you do the practices in the book and use the, the techniques and technologies just that work better than what you might expect for energy, then you get a bonus for the other things. And I yeah. actually quantify it. So when you fix your energy, by definition, your brain is going to improve. Yeah. And if you fix your brain, your energy will improve, but not as much. So by choosing one goal, you actually get sort of little side coupons for all these other benefits you're getting. And the fact you're getting those for free yeah, that's what motivates you because that that greedy, lazy part of you is like, oh, I got free upgrades <laughs> and, and that's how it works. <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah, I mean, that was as in connection with my own journey. You know, I was suffering from a lot of brain fog, chronic fatigue. I had the kind of, you know, typical like uh, um, <clears throat> you know, muffin top dad bod thing going on. And, um, you know, it wasn't really until I started wearing the continuous glucose monitor that I started to see, oh my God, my fasting glucose levels are here. I must have built up some degree of insulin resistance yeah. over time. You know, I always lived with a quasi healthy life. That's the one that we're describing, right. you know, 
like gutting it out on the treadmill or, or, or whatever. And, and under sort of a semi illusion that I was eating well, but you know, overwork, not great sleep, a lot of stress, all of these things essentially added up to a, a significant amount of insulin resistance, essentially like my mitochondria weren't getting the fuel that it needed to basically produce energy. And I had to kind of then figure out how to, to hack that. And that was, that's been my journey and, and energy obviously, and metabolism were absolutely at the, at the bullseye of that and still learning, of course. And this book has been just in the two weeks that I've been able to read it, been incredibly helpful for that. Thank you. Yeah. That, that means a lot in particular because you're dealing with the same stuff that it was terrifying to me. I, I was remember I was about 26. Um, I just made $6 million uh, in a tech company. I lost when I was 28. That was, <laughs> that was maybe not so smart. But uh, I just remember buying disability insurance because I was so tired and I couldn't remember a bunch of stuff. And I thought to myself, I don't know that I would hire myself Right. And yes, I was yeah. probably dealing with some burnout, but it, it was scary because if you're in a car and you need to go faster, you push the accelerator down. But if the accelerator is on the floor and the car just starts slowing down, you can push as hard as you want. It's not going any faster. And that yeah. was me. And, and it, it's, you feel out of control from that. And the whole definition of biohacking is it's the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you so you have control of your own biology. Mm. And the control I wanted was I just wanted my energy back and I wanted my brain back. And if I had to weigh 300 pounds, that was okay because I, I used my brain to do my work in the world and I really wanted to not weigh 300 pounds. Yeah. Uh, but I would have done anything for the energy. And I think most people listening, if they had to choose between having ripped abs and energy, they would choose energy unless they've never had a bout of of being out of energy. There's mm -hmm. a few people out yeah. there. Um, oftentimes if those people are bullied early in life, they become the calories in calories out trolls online yeah. because they're like, Oh, it doesn't matter. I just eat whatever I want. And, and those unfortunately also are, are people who will say you can out exercise a bad diet. And one of the lessons uh, I didn't write about him in the book, but one of my friends from Silicon Valley uh, named Chris was a inventor of a, a foundational internet technology. He was a semi-professional cyclist, you know, rode with the pro teams 50 miles a day, you know, throws his bike in the back of his Mercedes AMG and then eats pizza and beer because he can eat whatever he wants because he exercises. Yeah. Um, he died on Sand Hill Road at 46 of a heart attack. Mm. And yeah. this happens. Like the more you press yourself with exercise, the better your diet has to be. It's not the, you don't get to eat a potato chip because you exercise. Because you exercise, you have to eat a steak. That's yeah. how it works. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's no middle way there. Um, you have to find uh, uh, the middle way elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so let's get into, you know, some of those um, techniques, I suppose. Sure. That, that can help sort of upgrade our, our, our meat OS. And that's one of the primary approaches to buying biohacking is removing it's sort of a Ganesha approach to the <laughs> removal of obstacles first, yeah. um, you know, before potentially engaging or, or in parallel with engaging some, with some of these other modalities. So what would be some of the primary inputs uh, for that you would focus on for removal uh, for removing friction as you, as you call it? Well, imagine if you had a, a 
car and you're going to take it to a racing mechanic, they're going to make this car really fast. And in the back of the car, you've just got a whole bunch of bags of cement. And, and the mechanic says, well, you know, I could make your car faster, you know, by increasing your horsepower, but maybe we would just empty all the heavy stuff out of the trunk. Sounds exactly like Skyler's car, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways, you, you hit on something very sensitive there, Dave, but yes. Okay. How did I know? I don't know. You, you have a sense, you have a clairvoyance to you. The, the idea, though, it, it, is that it's just easier to stop doing things that slow you down. Removing yeah. friction is easier than increasing power. And remember, your body is lazy. Mm. It wants to remove friction, too, because it doesn't like friction in your life. And the biggest sources of friction uh, that, that are invisible to us, it, it's not our willpower, it's not our thinking, it's not our habits. It's actually inside ourselves. It, it's that there are things we do on a daily basis that slow energy production. Yeah. And a couple of them are, uh, are a little disturbing because they're made by plants. And we've all been taught uh, by large food companies trying to sell you plants instead of uh, healthier foods. Um, that you know, if it comes from plants, it must be good. But we also know if we were to go outside and eat the average plant, that we would probably end up in the hospital or at least with a lot of pain. So plants, maybe some of them are good and some of them are bad and, and things like that. Plants make a couple of things I write about in Smarter Not Harder that remove minerals from your body. If you want anything you do to, to work more easily, you must have enough minerals. Mm-hmm. And... Plants contain something called phytic acid. Uh, this was in the first chapter of my big diet book, The Bulletproof Diet. People lost a couple million pounds on that diet. But I, I think it kind of got overlooked because it was there with oxalic acid and lectins and this kind of list of things that, that maybe are really messing with you. If you've been eating a, a healthy plant-based diet with more beans and more rice and more nuts and more seeds, those are the foods that suck minerals out of your bones and out of your mitochondria. The way life works is we use small amounts of minerals to make enzyme cofactors. And what enzymes do in biochemistry is they allow chemical reactions to occur at low temperature. So we actually don't burn things because if we did, there'd be smoke coming out of us. We'd be kind of hot and things like that. So we metabolize. And to do that, you need minerals. Because we've been eating foods that themselves don't contain minerals anymore, We've depleted our soil yeah. just by growing stuff for a long time with no animal poop going back into the soil. So we have deficient foods and we're eating foods that suck what little minerals we have out. We're running around at low power. Mm-hmm. And one of the simplest things is, well, eat less of the foods that are sucking your energy by taking your minerals and then put the minerals back. And you can do that with supplements. And my new coffee company called Danger Coffee makes coffee with a large variety of trace minerals added back in, which mm-hmm. changes how you metabolize the coffee, but it it's meant to restore mineral balance in your body. So you feel better because now you had that one missing element that you needed to catalyze one of the millions of reactions in your body. So your body could do what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So you remove the obstacle of eating foods that are sucking up your minerals and then you add the minerals back in. And at the same time, the second major supplement, so really only two supplements I talk about in, in detail. I give other lists of supplements for certain outcomes. But the thing everyone needs before you go out and spend money on expensive nootropics, before you go out and buy a gym membership, before you do any of this stuff, you've got to have your vitamin DAKE, which is D-A-K-N-E, and you've got to have your minerals. Mm-hmm. If you do that, 
the fat soluble vitamins drive minerals to where they go in the body and keep them there. Yeah. And if instead you just take your vitamin D and you don't take A, K, and E, it doesn't work very well and actually can increase risk of calcification. So I just teach you, look, these two things, they're not sexy. There's not enough of them or they may not even be present in a multivitamin. But if you were to get your minerals and your fat solubles, it doesn't matter what biohacks you're doing. They all work better. And so does your sleep and so does your sex and so does whatever it was you were doing at work. So these are just foundational and they're missing in our conversations around biohacking and health. So there are anti-nutrients like yep. phytic acid, for example. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that killed me in that section was my beloved walnuts, um, you, you know, fell into the category of, of foods that contain phytic acid. So if I understand it correctly, they somewhat act as kind of almost like a chelator. They're sort of, yeah. they bind with minerals and they make them essentially not bioavailable to it, us. It'll pull zinc and calcium <clears throat> right out of your tissues. And kind of what it's similar, honestly, to what glyphosate does in the soil. Yes. So it's actually chelates minerals to essentially not allow them to develop in the plants. And so what we're eating are these nutrient. It's actually plants. ironic. Uh, yes, glyphosate's a chelator. The, <laughs> the plants actually want us to die because we keep eating their babies, their <laughs> seeds. And they, they do. So they're like, haha, I have a trick. I will steal your minerals. And then we're like, well, plants, we don't want you to live either. So we'll steal your minerals with glyphosate. Of course, glyphosate then harms us and harms soil and causes earthworms to have seizures. And like, yeah. it, it's bad stuff. We uh, have to stop yeah. it. But um, yeah, this mineral theft is a, is a, a long-standing tool in mother nature for yeah. protection. So what if we um, just still trying to save my walnuts because they're uh, and it's listen. I have good um, news for you on that. So it, what if we sprout them or soak them okay. and sprout them, um, and then I guess there's also the other category of fermentation where you're not going to ferment walnuts, but um, kind of gross. That would be gross. Um, but in terms of being able to yeah. address the phytic acid or the phytates in in plants, some people doubt that phytic acid is that important for humans? So mm -hmm. then I always go to animal research. I run an organic regenerative agriculture farm. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. Sure. But where well, is this farm when I read it in the book? Oh, Vancouver Island. It is in Vancouver, okay. Yeah, it's cool. 32 acres, three cows, 25 pigs, 25 sheep, and a bunch of chickens. Unbelievable. Okay, sorry, back very on course. Very delicious, very delicious animals. <laughs> and, very, you, and very well covered. Do you actually well slaughter and butcher? Uh, I don't, we don't usually, uh, if it's just one animal, we'll do it. But right. usually if you're taking 25 pigs in that you just need right. a full facility for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the facility I've gone and audited them for ethical practices and all that. Like it, it, you care about the animals, you like you form relationships with them, you nourish them, they nourish you. It, it's a, it's a, a sacred circle, but back to whatever we were talking about before we got into farming. Oh yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> hey, I, I took you off Well, we were talking about phytic acid, Oh, how we might be yeah. able to uh, neuter phytic acid with okay. some of our beloved nuts or, or, or other foods that we don't want to give up. What farmers do is they measure the amount of phytate in feed. And we know that cows and sheep, the kind of things that, that I raise, they actually manufacture an enzyme that disables phytic acid so they can make use of plants that we cannot eat. Mm. And they can handle higher levels, <clears> but they still, when they feed them corn and soy and seeds and all that, they still push the limits so the cows get uh, unhealthy. 
and they get weak bones and they get problems with their hooves. So they control the amount of phytate in their food and they add an enzyme called phytase. So what humans have done where we must eat seeds and grains in order to stay alive, like they're great sources of calories. And if we run out of calories for a long enough period of time, we die. And so they're not the best food, but they're better than nothing. So what we would do is we would sprout or ferment uh, or sometimes make something like sourdough or there's a variety of other strange things we would do to foods to, to render them edible or we'd soak them in lye. Uh, in the case of corn. So there are ways to detoxify these, and we've lost those in big foods. Like, we'll just yeah, take rice, that make some rice cakes. Who cares if they're high in phytic acid? We're not responsible. Right. And they're they're not. You know, if you're dumb enough to eat that stuff, you're responsible. And so what could you do with walnuts? Walnuts, it turns out, have a, a high variance in phytic acid. Some have a lot more than others. And there are studies that show that eating like an ounce of walnuts a day is, is correlated with longevity. Right. So they're a bit of a paradox because they're also relatively high in omega-6 fats. So if you eat yeah. too many walnuts and you just live on them, you're going to steal your minerals and you're going to get too much fat. But I like walnuts too. So what you'd want to do is you'd want to have walnuts that are stored in the fridge that are not roasted and things like that, which right. damages the fats. You'd want to soak them. I don't think you can sprout walnuts. Uh, maybe you can. I think you can. I mean, I've seen sprouted walnuts marketed now, of oh, course. Because you have to sprout it in the shell. <clears throat> I mean, I have a walnut tree on the farm, and I can't imagine how you'd sprout one of those hard things in its seed pod. But maybe it, there's a way. At least you could soak it. Yeah, you can soak it for and sure. You yeah. can soak it, and you could also say, all right, I am going to to just eat these walnuts. I'm not going to worry about it because I don't eat enough to matter. We handle right. a certain amount of phytase just fine. And there's some phyta, or sorry, phytic acid, just fine. Yeah. There's some phytic acid in coffee. This is a caffeine tattoo on my bicep right <laughs> here. And uh, coffee is correlated with longevity in hundreds of different studies. It is the best superfood besides maybe ribeye or liver on the planet. Yeah. But uh, it does have some phytic acid in it. So does chocolate. And I eat chocolate every day, which is also correlated with longevity. So you can imagine you have a bucket of that stuff you can handle. The more minerals you take in, the more phytic acid you can handle. So do I take in extra minerals? Yeah. Do I get some phytic acid? Yeah. So you could say, I'm not going to worry about it. Or you could take a well-formulated digestive enzyme that helps you to block this thing that's actually causing harm to you. Mm -hmm. So when I eat uh, things like that, I usually take a broad spectrum digestive enzyme that includes phytase. Mm. But for a lot of people, we're trying to be healthy and we're saying, okay, I ate, you know, a, a cup full of nut seed butter oh, and I, I made it raw because I heard I saw someone told me raw was better. <laughs> like you will have no minerals left in your body if you do it all the time. Now, how do I know this? I was a raw vegan. I was a devout raw vegan in the early 2000s. And I was a regular vegan, then a devout raw vegan. And then I started cracking my teeth. They became really, really cold and, and heat sensitive. And then they would just crack when I was eating normal foods. And I'm a pretty well-educated nutritional guy. Uh, and I had big bowls. I had balancing everything out. I blended. I sprouted. I ate kale, kale smoothies, raw spinach every day. Uh, I had incredible amounts of tartar on my teeth from oxalic acid. And now I'm probably one of kale and spinach's biggest haters uh, because oxalic acid really does cause major problems. And we tricked people into not eating creamed spinach where you use calcium from milk to disable spinach's anti-nutrients, but instead to eat raw spinach salads and smoothies that cause kidney stones, they cause gout, and they cause vulvodynia, 
which is when razor sharp calcium oxalate crystals accumulate in your vulva. I'm sure if I had vulva, I probably would have had that as well, given the amount of kale that I was eating. So if you're experiencing kidney stones and your vagina hurts all the time, spit out your kale. You might be happier. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> that was a no comment response. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, okay. So we, we've got sort of eliminate um, these anti-nutrients. So we've got yeah. phytic acid and phytates. Um, we have lectins. And we can maybe cubbyhole that conversation for a second. Yeah, books have been written about it. It's my first book too. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, there's being careful around, um, you know, GMO foods, which are going to tend to have a lot of glyphosate because they're going to be essentially Roundup ready. Yeah. It's bad for your mitochondria. And the reason all of these affect you, like I said, it goes back to your energy, right? Lectins, another one, it, it causes inflammation. Anything that causes inflammation and weight gain, the so-called obesogens, these are toxins from mother nature or from man, it doesn't matter, they cause you to accumulate weight. That means they're lowering your energy production. You have six pounds of air and some amount of food every day that come in. And if you do a great job of turning those into energy, you're gonna have tons of energy. If you do a bad job of turning them into energy, you're either going to be obese or inflamed or both, and it's usually both. Yeah. If macronutrients can't get into the cell, there's only a few places it can go. Well, particularly glucose. It yeah. can go to the liver as glycogen for a rainy day. That's great. Um, but otherwise, it often gets stored as fat or it, it glycates, you know, with yeah. these kind of advanced glycation end products that can be the source of a lot of inflammation, precursor to atherosclerosis and heart and heart disease and all these kinds of things. So Nailed it. just making sure that your energy production is... Whew, is like efficient, your mitochondria is functioning, that you engage uh, certain pathways that promote mitophagy and mm-hmm. mitobiogenesis. And so we can, you know, talk a little bit about some Let's of Let's talk about that. Yeah. So energy was was one of your your goals or was your top goal. So in, in Smarter Not Harder, the way I structure it is like I do most of my books. There's a principle that's really important to understand, and it's probably missing from, from your understanding of the world. So if you don't know the principle, then you don't know how to take action and you'll do the wrong thing because right. you ha- you're misinformed. Like I was when I went to the gym and ate less food. I was just misinformed, but I was very ardent in my beliefs. So what I'm doing here is I'm teaching you the principle and I'm saying, all right, here's the free thing you can do just based on this new principle. And it works. And here's why it works. Here's the low cost thing, but you might have to spend $100 on a supplement or on a piece of technology or something, but it's within most people's reach. And then here's the what the crazy billionaires do, right? <laughs> and and I do that. And my job at, at Upgrade Labs is I'm taking the stuff that crazy billionaires do and I'm putting it in a facility so you can just go use it on a monthly membership model. Again, ownandupgradelabs.com is where people can franchise that. I just, I, I was so lucky I made that $6 million because my health crashed. And I spent several hundred thousand dollars getting my health back. I spent a million dollars getting all the way back to normal and I don't know, another million or two going into this beyond what I thought was possible and most people think is possible. I'm so fortunate that I had an early career win that let me do that. Uh, and I was able to put a billion dollar lab in my basement. That's how I started this. Cause I, I was like, if that's going to improve my mitochondrial function, I'll get that $150,000 piece of gear. And I did, I didn't have a Tesla. I had a 10 year old BMW. It was still a BMW. I mean, let's be honest, but 
that's where my priorities were. And I just wanted to share this. So yes, I do all the crazy <clears throat> expensive stuff and I tell you about it in the book, but you don't have to do it. Yeah. Well, you can find, I mean, what I love about the book is that it gives you sort of these introductory hacks that you can apply that anyone can apply. Yeah. And then they're sort of uh, graded, sort of mid-level. And then if you're like the super jock, yeah. you know, energy guy or for, um, for like, for example, there was a new form of high intensity training that I hadn't heard about called rehit. <laughs> I love this one. So just to, as a principle, actually, before you unpack rehit, okay. talk about this idea of essentially like the instead of like the what we talked about this kind of hour-long slog on the elliptical this idea of essentially moving yourself like as it pertains to like let's say exercise it's like maximizing vo2 max like for example and then coming back down quickly and really looking at that duration of how long yeah. it takes you to get up and then back to your baseline it, this is a a new principle, and I will predict, based on my past success of predicting <laughs> new principles, that in five or so years, there'll be a bunch of university research uh, looking at the principle. And, and guys, disprove it. If it's wrong, I would like to know that, but I'm pretty sure this works. And I think it's a broad principle across human biology that we just missed. Mm -hmm. And actually, in animal biology, too. And it's that if you want to drive the meat operating system to change as rapidly as possible in the direction you want, you have to get a signal into it. Mm, yeah. And what we believe, because we know laziness is so bad, is that the right way to get a signal in is to work really hard for a long period of time because suffering makes you a better person. I mean, obviously the church told me that. So am, am I triggering anyone yet? No. <laughs> Volva and churches, <laughs> nobody is offended by those issues. So, uh, we believe that that the idea is, okay, I'm going to go as hard and as fast as I can for a half hour, 45 minutes. And the longer I can do that, the better I am and the faster my time. Well, that's not what we're seeing. I'm not seeing that across almost any of these things. The duration of effort isn't what drives change. Mm -hmm. What drives change is how quickly can I turn on a new signal? And then can I drive the system right to the edge of of disequilibrium right to the edge of breaking. Mm -hmm. And then how do I very quickly return it back to baseline? Mm. So it's how fast did it turn on and how fast did it turn off? If you do that, think about it. It takes a lot of energy to rewire, to create new proteins, to, to transform your body. It actually takes a lot of electrical energy. Yeah. And if instead of doing that, you're saying, well, I got the signal in and then I punched you in the face over and over and over and over and over and over just to make right. sure you got the signal. The body is like, I am so stunned right now. I'll adapt in a couple of days, but I'm going to have to save up some energy and, and overdo the dam or, or, and overcome the damage you did in order for me to do that. So you could say that's overtraining. You could also say it's normal training. I only did, you know, a 45 minute workout twice a week and I was sore for a couple of days. What? The data shows, the science shows in Smarter Not Harder is you could get six to 10 times better cardiovascular results by not doing that. Mm. So a five minute workout that involves 20 seconds of hard work and only five minutes, more is not better. Yeah. And if you were to do that three times a week for six to eight weeks, you get about a 12% improvement in VO2 max, which is absurd. That is a, a massive change. Yeah. 
12% better VO2 max is correlated with living two years longer. Mm. And if you, you explain what VO2 max yeah. is just for people who aren't familiar, VO2 max is the gold standard for measuring your cardiovascular performance. Yeah. And it's really basically how good are you at using oxygen to make energy? Remember that yeah. we just talked a little while ago, you take six pounds of air and food. How good are you at that? That is actually something that, that measures it and it measures it directly. Yeah. And to do a proper VO2 max, um, study you breathe through an oxygen mask while you're running at maximum on a treadmill like there's all kinds of stuff you have to do um, but universities can do that to to learn the techniques so this idea of rehit that i cover um, that's for cardiovascular and we do that at upgrade labs on an ai driven exercise bike mm -hmm. so you come in and if your top goal was say cardiovascular fitness or maybe just energy and metabolism I'm like all right give me five minutes you're gonna hop on the bike don't worry you don't have to change clothes you won't sweat what you mean I'm going to do six times better? Because, oh, by the way, going to a 45-minute sweaty spandex spin class for five days a week for six weeks, 2% improvement in VO2 max. So you're like six times better improvement in a tiny fraction of the time. So someone comes in like, well, that was five minutes. What do I do next? Like, oh, you mean the rest of this is free? And then your lazy <laughs> system's like, yeah, I did my cardio, and you're celebrating that, but it, it didn't suck. And then you're saying, well, what was next? Was it weights? How about we use the AI-driven resistance machine that's going to mm -hmm. use exactly the same idea plus another one about tricking your proprioceptors, and this is all in the book. Yeah. But when you do that, you'll put muscle on three to five times faster than picking up rocks. Oh, okay. So I did that for 10 minutes. I still have 45 minutes left. What am I going to do with all this time? Well, maybe we'll work on your recovery and your stress resilience systems, or maybe it's time to plug your brain in. So why would you spend two hours meditating if you got way more benefits in 20 minutes because a computer showed you when you were meditating wrong so you could just do a better job? Hmm. It's like bowling with those uh, those rubber inflatable things they use for little kids. Sure. Like you kind of can't miss. Well, neurofeedback's like that with meditation. <laughs> I still use those from time to time. <laughs> um, yeah, just for a, just to add, prop up my own ego, you know, just yeah. to, sometimes you need to bowl a strike some days. Um, so what, what you're doing with, with rehit, for example, um, and, and increasing VO2 max for um, your ability to use oxygen. So one of the other pieces of the book that I found to be really, really fascinating, and this is a, um, a topic that, uh, you know, I, I probe quite a bit is, is around the breath because, you know, it is right now I can be conscious of it. And, but obviously it's something that's happening below the crest of consciousness right. this is a product of, of our, our meat OS and, you know, in reaction, in response to stimuli, our breath rate can go up and down and, and whatnot, but we also can um, leverage certain kinds of practices to uh, uh, around breath to sort of upgrade our systems. So, you know, there's a lot. And so maybe you could spend a little bit of time like unpacking different kinds of breathwork techniques and how mm. you can leverage breathwork to move into the into more of a sympathetic state, but you can also leverage it to move into a more parasympathetic state um, for mm -hmm. like stress relief. And then there's um, what I found actually to be fascinating in the book, which then kind of ties back to energy, was these notions of sort of induced hypoxia and the, the mechanisms of action around that. So take a moment okay. to unpack 
the sure. great world of breath work. My goal in the book is to say, look, these are things that work faster. They give you results in less time. Yeah. And when people have more energy, we're wired in our cells to be nice to each other. Like all life forms <laughs> support their own species. So we'll be nicer to the planet and nicer to each other and flip people off in traffic less if we have full power because then we're in charge instead of our meat operating system in charge. So that that's behind all this. And in the end of the book, I talk about... Um, hacking spirituality yeah that there are some spiritual states many of them i've measured and we know them because of my work at 40 years of zen where these are altered states of high performance or healing and how can you get into those without hooking a computer up to your head well there are mm -hmm. ways and one way is meditating mm -hmm. right another way is chanting but breath work is much more effective on a permanent basis you can do meditation with breath work and sometimes just breath work is all you need. So one of the most important things that people are looking for, especially when it comes to stress relief and stress management, is how do I calm down when I'm feeling anxiety? And the, the first thing is not even a breath. It's understand that likely more than half of your anxiety isn't even coming from you. It's coming from your meat operating system. When it's tweaked because of something you ate or because it didn't get something, it'll feel anxiety. It'll send it to you, and you're going to blame your mother-in-law. You'll make up a story to match the feeling that your body sends. So just understand, your anxiety may not be you. It may be your meat's anxiety, and it doesn't mean you're a bad person or that you're weak. It just means something's off in your hardware, and that's hackable. So number one, set aside shame and guilt. Number two, the trick to turning on your parasympathetic, your rest and relax, to get out of tweak mode is to make sure that your out breath is twice as long as your in breath. Mm. And breathe through your nose whenever you can, really whenever you're not talking. So what you do is close your mouth, take a breath, say for five seconds in, and you can hold it for five seconds if you want to do more of a box breath, or you can just hold it for a second. But the trick is 10 second out breath. Now, That's good. That's hard. If you do that five times, you will yeah. just naturally shift into this. And you might have mm. noticed that my breath sounds like this. I'll get close to the mic for you. My in-breath is this, and my out-breath, that's called an ujjayi breath, and that's something you learn in a yoga class, and it adds, it basically adds impact to your breath work, so mm -hmm. learning how to do that will work really well. The you other think Darth Vader borrowed Ujjayi breath because it sounded, it sounds a lot like it when you did it, it, it and, uh, yeah. and then of course he was... Not on the good side of the force, but still had some strong. significant powers. The, the mantra that you that you chant after you do the breath is, these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> it's that or Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, one or the other. We can alternate. One of the. <laughs> I, I often, um, I, these are not the droids you're looking for is one of, one of my more favorite tropes. Um, it, it's great. Uh, um, uh, so... <laughs> in it, with the box breath, what you're doing is really moving yourself into a parasympathetic state. Essentially, you know what your what your meat OS might otherwise do. So your meat OS is moving you kind of between a sympathetic state. If you you know if there's an odd toad ungulate charging at you or whatever, move you into useful, fight, right. fight or flight, and that's very useful. Obviously, we've sort of jumped the perch on evolution there, and we get triggered by a lot of other things that have nothing to do with actual real biological threat. But 
what you know but our meat os is designed to for around our biological imperatives to survive so it is useful it's like okay um you know now uh i i have a perceived threat my respiratory rate is up my heart rate is up blood is you know moving to my extremities i'm like ready to go um but that's not where we want to be most of the time and so we can leverage uh, like box breath or andrew weil has his i think four seven eight one. yes um and um and this essentially moves us into this rest and digest state. Respiratory rate goes down. Um, blood goes more to the gut and to digestion and the immune systems around there. And so, you know, that's very, very, very useful. And then there's other forms of breath work that are designed to move in the opposite direction, like Wim Hof or, or Tumo breath. Wim Hof or Tumo, or one of the things I write about in Smarter Not Harder is holotropic breathing. Yes. And holotropic breathing has been around for a very long time. It's related to Tumo, related to Wim Hof. And Stan Groff, who is the father of transpersonal psychology, invented this when in about 1960 in Czechoslovakia, he was no longer allowed to prescribe LSD to his patients as a licensed psychiatrist. This was pharmaceutical LSD from Sandoz Pharmaceuticals, still around today. They just don't make LSD anymore. And... He said, well, I need something that allows my patients to enter a state of healing. So he and his late wife uh, decided that they would come up with breath work based on yoga. And so his type of breathing will send you to very alternate realities. And it's sort of if you were to do Wim Hof breathing and just don't stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've done work with Stan. I actually ran an event with Stan years ago where oh. we trained people to do it. Cool. Interviewed him when he was 94. So I'll just say there's incredible depth to be plumbed here, and it just works better than only meditating. But meditating is great. I've been to Nepal and Tibet and Andes. I've learned to meditate. I've done my work. I do it usually with either breath work or electrodes at this point because it's faster. But there's one other thing that that anyone who's listening could learn that that was really impactful earlier in my, my path here. When I first started doing uh, yoga with pranayama, one of the things you do is you'd breathe out and then you hold your lungs empty. And I found after three seconds, I got this really strong signal. I'm going to die. And, and it's a, like a physical stressor. Yeah. And I can usually hold my lungs empty for 20 or 30 seconds without any stress at all now. Hmm. What's happening is that your meat operating system is so worried that you're going to run out of air. You're going to run out of food. Something bad might happen that it sends you fear and pain and anxiety signals with the slightest drop of a hat, but you can yeah. train it like you train a dog. So like, okay, I'm gonna breathe out. I'm gonna hold my lungs empty and I'm just gonna be calm. And then when it starts going, eh, but you might run out of air, you know, you have like three minutes before you get brain damage. And some of the actors and actresses uh, who just filmed Avatar, one of the actresses, yeah, I was, I set the record. I was underwater for seven and a half minutes. God. I, I wish I remember which one it yeah. was, but they were taught by divers how to do this and they had to like yeah. be underwater and talking for a long time. So they just did it. So if she could go seven and a half minutes and your meat operating system says you're going to die after three seconds of empty lungs, uh, uh, yeah, maybe you could train your meat operating system to chill the F out. Yeah. And that's a big part of what breath work does.
There's actually a, a really interesting story. I'm not sure if it's in Nestor's book on breath, but there, there's a woman who didn't have an amygdala. So she was unable to experience fear. And she became kind of the study of the sort of Annabon study of science for in all sorts of different respects. Um, and they've been, you know, they spent like 30 years trying to scare this woman. Right. <laughs> she was unscarable. And they finally did it by essentially putting a little mask on her. And through the, through the tube, they just started to feed her carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide and yeah. no oxygen. Mm-hmm. And her meat OS went, wah! And she finally, she experienced her sort of first ever experience of of anxiety and fear. Because somehow, even prior to the amygdala, there's something that's built in there that uh, that we can train. And she she never trained. It's a self-danger response. Mm. And it is absolutely trainable. And it's funny, I I have been aware of carbon dioxide therapy for a long time because carbon dioxide increases oxygen uh, in the body. So if you right. uh, if you actually lower oxygen and increase carbon dioxide, good stuff happens. So uh, after I read James's book, I just said, well, I'll just start breathing some carbon dioxide on occasion. So I would just fill a balloon with carbon dioxide and do a couple lungfuls. The one in his book he describes is like, you feel like you're going to die. Yeah. Actually, you don't. Because mm-hmm. after you do it a few times, you teach your body you're not going to die. You just feel dizzy. So I can take a lungful of carbon dioxide and go, ooh, sparkles. And then I lay down. The feeling of death is not there. The, the in the spiritual part of smarter not harder at the end ultimately every every negative emotion all the anger um all the the fear all the anxiety it's fear of death and the buddhists oh. have been teaching this for thousands of years so it's not that you are conscious that it's fear of death it's your meat operating system telling you i might die i might die so when you train it to walk across the coals at tony robbins events if you went to my biohacking conference, by the way, biohackingconference.com, there's one in June. At a recent one, we had people jump off a three-story platform onto a cushion like a stuntman. And the amount of willpower for you to look out over, I have no ropes, I have no parachute, I am going to die. And you stand there and you jump anyway. The act of taking control of your meat operating system Mm. is freedom. Mm. Yeah. I, I was fascinated by the kind of induced hypoxia. So hypoxia being O2 debt. And obviously we want to be careful with this because too much hypoxia can die. Brain damage can die. die. But that it, um, and that you could also um, sort of mimic this with like doing uh, some blood restriction and cuffing because what you're really doing is essentially depriving some cells of, of oxygen. So what happens when you deprive cells of oxygen? They trigger the development of this particular kind of protein called EPO, right? Maybe you could just pull on yes. that because I thought it was fascinating. Uh, so this is a way of hacking your meat operating system. Remember that definition of biohacking, change the environment around you, and that would include the gases you're breathing. So <laughs> what you yeah. can do is you can use resistance, uh, or not they're called compression bands. Um, there's a brand called Be Strong uh, that I use. And it's like a blood pressure cuff. You cut off some blood, but not all blood, and then you do your curls. And then you take the band off, and you get these massive pumps, huge bicep. And what You're just like, happened, <laughs> right? Well, what just happened is the cells realize they're going to have to perform in an environment with less oxygen. So they start rewiring themselves in order to be able to do that, which means they get rid of weak cells, mm. and they become better at their utilization of oxygen. Over time, this increases uh, EPO levels. EPO causes you to make more red 
blood cells. This is what Lance Armstrong was injecting was EPO. A lot of professional cyclists still do that. Right. Yeah. Um, and but you're saying you don't you don't have you don't, to do an injected to be able yeah. to stimulate the endogenous production. You can of it. do that yeah. with those. There's also a huge wave of uh, lactate um, mm-hmm. that forms as well, which signals to your brain that you just did a major workout, even though you didn't. So you're tricking the meat OS into getting ready for a big workout you didn't have to do. I right. kind of like that. And that's, I assume, a product of essentially glycolysis of anaerobic Correct. energy production that's producing lactic acid right. that then is saying, hey, well, we didn't really have oxygen when we did this. Yeah, in fact, it's, it's almost like you didn't really even have glucose available. So the body's like, oh my God, it's a, it's a disaster because right. there wasn't the air and glucose to, to combine. So then the body's like, I better shape up. And, and it does, you get a nitric oxide change, but the pump you get is, is insane. And you can do exercise with a two pound pink dumbbell instead of a 40 pound dumbbell when you cut off blood flow and it still works. Wow. You don't have to do the hard stuff. And if you have a damaged elbow, or shoulder, hmm. and you do blood flow restriction, you can still have the muscles strong while you're healing. This is a major biohack. Yeah, you can also, wow. and we do this at at Upgrade Labs. Um, you can also do um, something called intermittent hypoxia, where you change the amount of oxygen in your air, uh, and for a little while you breathe it, and you you get down to levels where if you're in an emergency room, they would like throw you in the ER, but you only do it for a minute, and then you breathe normal air again, and so you're teaching your body, oh. Not only is it safe for you to occasionally have little bits of oxygen, you must be prepared to do it. Because the last time you went to a little bit of oxygen, you didn't die and your system wasn't dysregulated. You came back mm-hmm. and you were just fine. But I goes, oh, I guess that's safe. I guess I can do that. I guess I'll be prepared to do that. But if instead, we're like, sorry, we're going to strap you down and put the mask on your face and we're going to get you down to you almost die. Well, it wouldn't work. Yeah. And, and this is the problem that we have overdoing stuff. Part of our meat operating system so it says, don't use electricity thinking about stuff too much. So we have all of these amazing like computer science intellectual shortcuts that are good for making decisions without much electricity, yeah. right? So one of the basics that we do is if something is good, more better. If something yeah. is bad, less better. So we, we do this thing and it's yeah. so annoying. I mean, I do it too. We all do it. It's built in. And this is why people over fast. That's why I wrote my last book on fasting. Like, okay, just because fasting is good doesn't mean you should never eat. That's called starvation. And well, if weightlifting is good, I'll just do 90 minutes a day, six days a week. Oh, yeah, I did that for 18 months. Like those are wrong ways of thinking that are driven by our meat OS trying to save electricity thinking. Hmm. So what we're doing now is relying on computers and technology to help us find these unique things we could do that violates the more better. Because very clearly for exercise, more is not better. Yeah, And very clearly for uh, vegan diets or keto diets, it doesn't matter. Being in ketosis forever, because ketosis is good in a cyclical basis, it's a bad idea. Right. Going vegan for a week or two to drop your levels of mTOR, sure, it. yeah, it's totally fine. In fact, one of my friends uh, recommends a, a month of vegan. I don't know how you do that without all the plant toxins, but a month of vegan and then a month of keto. Yeah. Right. Okay, like these are all good, but it's it's the idea that you have to do it one way and just keep piling it on and piling it on. That's right. intellectual laziness driven to save electricity. So when you're tired and there's a famine, you can at least think. But man, if, if we just have a little help with that, we might save a lot of time and energy. Yeah, yeah. That's like the superfood phenomenon. We get obsessed with one food as if eating one particular food would be 
beneficial. So coffee, like, if you, let's face it, yeah, coffee. Okay, yeah, well, coffee, I can, <laughs> I can put an asterisk next to that. <laughs> totally one. kidding. It's sort of like ice, ice skating. We drop the highest and lowest right. scores. Like, are chia <laughs> seeds that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here and there, sprinkled on Right, but, but they're not coconut just like, probiotic. They're not going to save your world, right? No. But but sometimes the superfood phenomenon is exactly that. Uh, I fell for it as a uh, as a, a raw vegan too. I'm like, oh well, if raw is good, more raw is better. And uh, what you realize is that is that it's not the same for everyone as well. That's right. And that's why <clears> in <throat> smarter not harder, I would be like out of integrity if I said, look, everyone has to do it this way. You have to pick your goal, right? And then you pick your targets within the goal. And right. then you have a, a recipe with the technologies or the techniques that are just most effective to get there. But what you would do for energy and what I would do for brain function maybe aren't the same. And what I do is I say for this technique, it'll pay a lot of returns for your brain and a little bit of returns for weight loss. Yeah. Right. But at least you know the returns you're getting for each of the techniques. And one that I want to share with your listeners they can do at home um, has to do with cold therapy. Now, I've been writing about and recommending cold therapy for more than a decade, and it's it's part of what we do at Upgrade Labs, cryotherapy. So there are there are lots of influencers now who are talking about cold tubs and all, and I'm, I'm grateful to see it's become yeah. a meaningful part of biohacking. Uh, but when it comes to cold therapy, a lot of people listening probably don't have a cold tub at home. And you could do what I did in the very early days. Uh, I would go to the store and load up the trunk of my car with ice which costs whatever, 30 bucks, and then drive home, uh, leave the trunk open to dry out, and then throw it all in a bathtub, wait a while, and sit in the bath. It was very time efficient. Okay. <laughs> so uh, actually, no one's going <laughs> Not, to do that unless no. you're a crazy biohacker. Right. So you could go out and spend you know five grand on a cold plunge. Yeah. I have one. Uh, and I also have liquid nitrogen uh, on, my, on the farm uh, for cryotherapy. Or you could go to an upgrade labs. But if you're saying, Dave, I don't want to do any of that stuff, the fastest and easiest way to get the benefits in with really very little inconvenience, I write about in here because cold therapy helps with brain, helps with stress management, and it helps with cellular energy production. So it's a, a technique that pays dividends in multiple of these goal areas. What you do is you get a salad bowl about as big as your face, and you put an inch of water in it, and you put it in the freezer overnight. Yeah. Okay. Now you don't have to go to the store and buy ice. And then you take it out of the freezer and you put some water in it, about, oh, a couple inches, three inches of water. And then you take a deep breath and you bend forward and you stick your face in the ice water, just your face, right? Eyes, forehead, chin. And most people, you got about eight seconds before you get a headache from that. And go, ah, and then you pop out and go, what the hell, Dave, you're a jerk. Okay. You're going to put the, the water back in the freezer for the next night and next day you'll go 30 seconds and you'll swear it. And then the third day you might make it up to a minute if you can hold your breath that long. Um, and if not, you can use a snorkel. That's what I ended up doing. Um, or just take your, take a breath and stick your face back in there. And what just happened over the course of eight seconds to go up to a minute? Well, what happened is that studies show that after three days of subsequent cold exposure, uh, something called cardiolipin, which is part of your mm. mitochondrial membrane, will shift its composition. And suddenly, now you can handle the cold because the cells rewire themselves. And your, your meat OS did that without anything but just a brief spike of cold temperature. And the benefits of this are it calms your vagus nerve. Yeah. And it also makes your face look better. 
So if you wanted like a free facelift and a nervous system upgrade, and you didn't want to even go to an upgrade <clears> labs <throat> and do the three minute cryotherapy because you didn't want to drive. Okay. Just the face in ice water really helps. You could also say, well, now that I've gotten used to that, that was relatively easy. Now at the end of my shower, I can do a one minute cold shower on my face and chest because your chest has the next level of those things. That's enough cold therapy for a lot of people. And it's better to do a cold plunge where you have to take a shower and get all wet and it takes you know, 10, 15 minutes or to do cryotherapy in three minutes at Upgrade Labs. But regardless, you don't have to do the crazy billionaire stuff. You can stick your face <laughs> in a salad bowl full of ice and get a lot of benefits. I teach you all that stuff. The, that's the uh, the salad bowl challenge. Thanks. We'll have to get that out there. Um, I think that would be a, a wonderful visual for Instagram. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, but it, it makes sense on some level because like when you sprain your ankle or, or something, you put ice on it, right? It's an anti-inflammatory. Right. It's a vasoconstrictor. So it's, it's slowing down blood flow. So it's going to obviously have an anti-inflammatory impact. Um, but, um, but it also, I think some of the other things that you point out in the book are fascinating as it pertains to cold water therapy or just cold therapy in general, that it, um, that it activates kind of this certain kind of fat that's mostly like clustered, I think here in the back of your your spine, right? right. Called brown fat. Mm -hmm. And, and that can, um, there's a lot of mitochondria in there and that can stimulate a lot of weight loss because essentially when you're lowering your body temperature, your body immediately has to go into this kind of, you know, energy production mode to get yourself up into this little Goldilocks zone. And then it's got to burn something, right? So Mm -hmm. can you poke at that for a sec? Sure. Over time, when your body learns that it has to turn on heat really quickly, which what slope of the curve biology? Oh, really? I I was warm. Now I'm really cold. Okay. That's why I like cryotherapy. It gets you to 160 degrees below zero. Just for a little while, the body goes, ah, and you get a stronger slope of the curve. But any of these cold therapies, the body says, okay, uh, since I'm going to have to be able to get warm quickly, I need to have a special kind of mitochondria and more of them. And it's not really a separate kind of mitochondria, but it's a special ability. The ability to make heat um, is different than the ability to make electricity. You got to be able to do both. So it will increase the number of them in certain types of fat, um, especially along your spine. Babies are full of that fat, It's the brown fat. It's brown because the mitochondria make it brown. There's a lot of these little things and they have minerals in them that aren't in regular fat. So um, when you do this over time, now you can turn heat on more quickly. And I, I laugh because I do this and, and I have friends and we're walking around. And I don't have a jacket on. I'm like, why aren't you cold? And you know, like, why aren't you cold? Because I have a functioning metabolism. Right? And it's not that you want to be cold all the time. That's actually not good for you. And it, there's lots of evidence for that, but that you want to be able to handle it so that you actually aren't cold when the air is slightly chilly. Yeah. Um, so that's that brown fat is, is fundamental. And, and when you talk to the guys who still believe calories in, calories out, and they tell you to go, go to the gym, well, if you walk into a cryotherapy chamber, I don't have data for an ice bath, it's probably the same, but if you do the, the cryotherapy chamber stuff we have at, at Upgrade Labs, what you end up with is burning hundreds more calories throughout the day because of three minutes of cold exposure. Mm. And so it almost has to be the same for just a cold plunge. So if you could really pay for a potato chip on a treadmill, you could pay for five potato chips <laughs> with a cold plunge, but it's still a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where I found it to be highly impactful for me, so I'm a cold showerer, um, cool. never loved it, 
I know? don't either. Um, <laughs> but I obviously acclimated myself to it. You know, where I found it to be highly impactful would be sort of towards the end of my intermittent fasting window. Smart. So I'm essentially like very, very low glycemic at that juncture. And, um, and then, you know, my body has to go into thermoneogenesis. It's got to burn something and there's just not a lot of glucose around. So it burns fat. And I saw a tremendous, when I was, when I combined a, a number of these modalities, that's when I personally saw like a tremendous amount of weight loss. So. I mean, you're, you're yeah. super lean now. What are you like seven, 8% body fat? I don't know, to be I, honest. I would guess. I, yeah. I'm around eight right now. Yeah. Um, I've been as low as seven, um, but it wasn't because I was trying. I, I actually started eating more carbs. Um, in fact, even just including dessert because. More carbs. Wait a minute. Well, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was getting like yeah. 7% is not healthy. No. And you know, I have all the the medical grade gear from Upgrade Labs where I can test it and see where's my liver fat, where's my organ fat. Right. And so my muscles up and my fat's down and I'm like, this is a little too lean. So yeah, yeah I'll just eat some extra chocolate. I could do that. Yeah. So maybe for a moment, talk about the combination between cold therapy and heat therapy mm. um, and sometimes known as contrabathing. So. Yeah. These are both slope of the curve biology things. Yeah. So, oh, the body says, wait, you mean you just got me in a sauna and it's 150 degrees Fahrenheit? Like, what am I, uh, what do I do here? And well, it starts making actually that cell danger response. It makes heat shock proteins. Right. So there's something to be said, assuming that my theory here um, is real. And I think it is. Is that if you do slope of the curve to get really cold, right? So now the body says, oh, no. But then suddenly you do slope of the curve to climb out of cold all the way into, oh, no, I'm too hot. And then you maybe go back down. You do that a couple of times. You actually have a steeper and longer curve than you would from just doing sauna or just doing an ice bath. And the evidence is clear. Ice baths alone are good for you. As long as you don't overdo it, you don't need to sit in ice all day long. That's bad. And sauna is really good for you as long as you don't overdo it. If you do too much sauna, you're going to run into the same problem where it's just too much stress and you can't handle the detox and things like that. Right. They're good on their own. Um, I asked Wim Hof, who's, who's been on my stage at the biohacking conference, and he's a friend and been on the show. I asked him about, you know, do you finish on warm? Do you finish on cold? And he actually said that he didn't think it mattered. But when you talk with uh, Susanna Soberg, uh, she, uh, she's really fun to interview. Uh, and she also, uh, she, she actually says the opposite that you should finish on cold yeah. and she's done a lot of rigorous university research. Uh, so I would say ideally if you do sauna and cold together, your last thing should be cold and then you get out. Yeah. That's the prevailing yeah. wisdom, I think. And, and I would say we didn't know that for sure. Um, maybe 10 years ago. And what I'm really happy about is, you know, the, the early stuff where I, I can tell you, look, there's, there's a trickling of evidence from different medical studies or different environmental studies or, or observations from the biohacking community. This stuff works. I tried it. Here's what it does to my, my things. Why don't you guys try it? And then sometimes two or five years later, the university stuff comes along. And then after some of that's published, you'll see like Andrew Huberman or someone is, is all right, you know, here's the best practice guide. Right. And the role of, of biohackers is to talk with each other about what works and understand that, you know, a 50 year old woman and an 18 year old male are not going to have the same things. We want to know the principles 
And then we want to see the very best practices. And honestly, to tune how much rehit exercise do you need, it requires a professor in Colorado, University of Colorado, um, uh, Ulrich, uh, who's been on the show. And what uh, what happens there is, like, oh, okay, now we know that it was this number of seconds, whereas before we might have been playing around with high-intensity interval training where 10 years ago, I'm like, guys, this is better than running 45 minutes. Let's do four one-minute sprints over 10 minutes. Well, if you can get that down to two 10-second sprints over five minutes, that's better. But that's where we start applying the lens of AI, the lens of science, mm. and then taking those findings and putting them at upgrade labs so people can come in and just know, I didn't waste a minute. Yeah. Uh, that's like my dream. <laughs> so we're opening three of them in Austin where I live now. So I'll be able to go in all the time and I won't have to have it in my basement. Oh, but the basement will still have a special place in your heart. I, It'll I have all like, the crazy stuff that's yeah, not right. The, the stuff that's uh, not quite in oxy health, hard sided hyperbaric. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. All the NM1 stuff. Um, yeah. I, I mean, uh, there's a doctor, Rhonda Patrick's done a lot of interesting stuff oh, yeah. on the sauna. Um, I have a sauna here and, and one in Topanga. Um, and I do the counter bathing pretty much every day uh, in, in one way or another. And I, I think there's just so much interesting new data coming on on and a lot of stuff that's been done in finland because yeah. it's ubiquitous there obviously right um but i i think you you poked at it briefly before the that sauna there's a lot of talk now about these heat shock proteins that um essentially help proteins keep their three-dimensional shape such that they don't kind of yeah collapse and that there might be a link to Alzheimer's there. Um, I think there's two yeah. longevity effects from saunas and from heat therapy uh, in general. And one of them we've known about for a while, and it's that your body dumps toxins and heavy metals, particularly with infrared saunas. They, they seem to create more of a, a dumping of metals. But the one that no one really knew about until very recently was we used to think that when a protein was damaged, that the body would just get rid of it. But it turns out with heat therapy at certain ranges of heat, the body will actually unfold a damaged protein and then refold it properly, which is way more biologically wow. efficient. Wow. This is one of the many functions that your meat operating system does for you. If you give it the signal and the signal here is heat yeah. and then magically says, oh, time to fold and unfold and get rid of toxins. So if you wanted to say, I'm going to increase my energy, well, I'm going to do that by getting rid of toxins because toxins inhibit mitochondria from making energy. So I'm going to sit in the sauna. And then the free benefit you got was anti-aging because, well, it, uh, it, it refolded those proteins. So then you celebrate the fact that you got free anti-aging, not the fact you got rid of metals because getting stuff for free feels better than paying for stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the other dimension of it as, as it pertains to the infrared light, which I thought was really interesting so this is part of the, or near infrared, part of the yeah. light spectrum that's kind of closer to infrared, maybe 700, 800 nanometers or something, mm -hmm. somewhere around 880. That. 880, there you go. Um, and infrared actually, those waves, the, that electric magnetic radiation can actually penetrate your skin. You don't actually have to be in direct sunlight, or, or, but it can penetrate your skin right into the mitochondria. And... I knew about it as it pertains to its ability to upgrade the production of uh, melatonin as an antioxidant at the mm -hmm. at the cell level, not at the serum level. Yep. But um, but I think you also in the book talk about how infrared 
can upgrade the efficiency of the production of ATP, which I thought was yeah. really fascinating. It, it's something that a lot of people don't don't understand about infrared light, or it, it's it's heat or light, whatever you want to call it. We don't yeah. see it, so technically, I would say it's not light. But, Fair enough. Yeah, it's not yeah. visible. It, it's right. on the yeah. it's on the spectrum, almost visible. And when you shine it on water, which is what we're mostly made out of, the water will form larger exclusion zones. It, it changes the viscosity or the thickness of the water. Mm. So it's either more or less goopy. And for your cells to make ATP in, in to do fold proteins, do anything they do, they must have exclusion zone water. And this is based on Dr. Gerald Pollock's work from the University of Washington. He's been on my stage and, and mm. has become a friend. Uh, and he did research on the basic water in cells in life. And yeah. he found that there's two things that create the largest exclusion zone in water, which in other words, the water that's most useful for making life. One of them is infrared light. Hmm. The other one is certain types of fat where you put the water up against the fat. The two types of fat that make the largest exclusion zone in water are, you ready for it? Butter oil and MCT oil. Yes, you're talking to the guy who invented bulletproof coffee. <laughs> so what would happen if you took hot water? Does hot water yeah. contain infrared? Yeah, it's hot. It's actually radiating infrared light. And you were to put butter and MCT oil in it. Interesting. And you were to blend the crap out of it, which makes tiny droplets so the water all touched the kind of fat. And then you were yeah. to drink it and you felt good. How much of that is from the exclusions on water? Some meaningful effect. No one knew this when I created Bulletproof Coffee, but I gave Dr. Pollock $50,000 as a donation to his lab, an open-ended research one yeah. without paying for any specific study. And he came back looking at which fats created exclusion zones the best. There's a reason the Tibetans put butter in their yak butter tea. Because <laughs> it works and it gives them energy that way. So if you were to do an infrared sauna, you would make this exclusion zone water throughout your body, which makes ATP easier because now the body didn't have to heat up the water in order yeah. to use it. Yeah. Fascinating. That's incredible. Um, so we're at this kind of exciting precipice of science right now. I mean, and, you know, I really do have to give you a lot of credit that you're just on the bleeding edge of that. And, and honestly, you take a lot of risk and a lot of chance being there. It, it's measured risk. Yeah, uh, oh, I don't. I wouldn't say I, that I'm dangerous. It's called danger yeah, coffee for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, and it, but you know because we know that modern Western allopathic medicine and you know the turns at a very very slow pace, and we're talking seventeen to twenty years or something like that to bring a product to market or something like that. It's more than like, that because big pharma keeps slowing it down. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Or not, yeah, for their benefit, clearly. Yeah. Not for ours. Not for <laughs> ours. Um, so, you know, so we're here um, with more transparency into our own vehicle than we've ever had before. Yes. Know? So we've had that. this, like, you know, you never drive a car without a dashboard, right? And as soon as one of the tire pressure lights or oil pressure lights went off, you you know, I give you an indication to do something, right? Yeah, I put tape over the light and keep yeah. driving. <laughs> right. Live <laughs> ignorance can be bliss, but maybe not in that case. Um, so but finally we have more transparency into yeah. our own vehicle. Um, you know, beyond the annual visit to the PCP 
you know, which you would generally cancel anyways. Yeah. Um, Cause it wasn't useful. And you knew it. Yeah. Um, and so now we have a window into, you know, our sleep and our heart rate variability and our glucose levels. And, you know, there are commercial blood panels that are available. I do regular ones with inside tracker and, you know, every three or four months and, you know, can, can there, there's all my biomarker, 43 biomarkers right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I th- I believe that y- you call this in the book, the quantified self. And I think you, you know, build some other scaffolding around there. Cause yeah. it's not as simple. It's just being able to like access your data points or your, or your biomarkers, but that that's part of it. And that this access and this transparency is, is, informing this age of agency really it it is and and the quantified self was was a defined movement uh in like the late early 2000s i I, in fact i have a poster somewhere in my house from the 2011 quantified self meetup and this is a time when a bunch of nerds like me would get together and we'd say we gathered data on our bodies and we're so curious about it but we didn't do anything with the data we just kind of collected it. it was like ooh, ah, like stamp collectors and, and one of the reasons that I, uh, that I, I created biohacking was I, I just felt this urgent need to take action. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to say, well, let's collect data for, for the whole week. And at the end of the week, figure out what happened and go, nice. I wanted to say, what am I, what is my body doing right now? And how can I change it with real time feedback? And that's what neurofeedback, 40 years of Zen, some of the upgrade lab stuff does, but also just how do we improve ourselves versus understand ourselves? I believe the world needs explorers and the world needs map makers Mm. and they're not the same people like Mm. Lewis and Clark did not make very good maps. They just showed you could do it and they found some basic directions and some, some techniques and all that stuff. And you guys can come in here with like your armies of people with little pencils and whatever you do your thing. Right. And I don't know what they did after that, but something else probably. (laughs) So that's what biohackers are doing. And and we're going to take advantage of everything that we know and we're going to think about it and we're going to say, huh, I wonder what would happen if, we tried this and this isn't risky because we know given what we already know, this is actually the most likely outcome. Mm-hmm. An academic is going to say, well, before you take any action on this last 50 years of research, more research is needed. And, and they do that because they're funding themselves. And because if someone takes action on it, there could potentially be some liability. I think I, I don't even know why they do that, but there isn't liability for that. If someone reads your paper and decides they're going to do something stupid, then that's on the person who did the stupid thing. So what I would encourage people to do is, is say, well, no, given what we know, this is probably better than doing nothing. And I once asked Craig Venter this. Craig is a, a luminary in the field. He's the first guy to sequence his human genome in the Human Genome Project. And uh, when I, I, I got a chance to talk with him, and I said, Craig, you have all this data for all these people. Can you give me one piece of actionable advice from all of this, or should we just all have pizza and beer and wait for longer? Yeah. And he, he kind of looked at me and he said, let's talk about it over pizza and beer. And, and I was like, no, Craig, <laughs> there has to be something. So what biohackers do and what I think just normal people do, it's like, you know what? It's okay that we're not sure because mm-hmm. most of the things that we're sure about are actually not even real. How many scientific theories have been disproven in the last 30 years? Oh, did, did you think that... Uh, Plaques cause Alzheimer's disease. It turns yeah. out that there was a little mistake somebody yeah. made. Or serotonin was the yeah. biochemical reason for depression or, you know, whatever. Right. So, yeah. 
So yeah. I, I made a, a sacred vow to myself that I was only going to do what works, which mm -hmm. means when I do something, I measure whether it works. And if it doesn't work, I stop doing it. Because what I did when I was young is I did stuff that didn't work to the point of absurdity and exhaustion. And I'm just not going to deceive myself with a story. Yeah. Almost every story that we believe has another layer underneath it. So I'm going to measure results. And it's worked really well yeah. because I, I feel better. I have more energy. I have a better brain. I have better hormone levels. Like everything in my life is better than it was when I was half my age. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. So last question for you. So there's a, all these objective measures of health and well-being. So you can open up your Aura Ring app or whatever, and you know it, it'll give you a score on how you slept last night. I think the yep. danger here is that you become more married to the score than your own feelings of subjective well-being. So I wonder how you advise people to balance those things of like, okay, here's my objective measures of wellness, but here's also a, my sub subjective measures of well-being. How do those play mm. with each other? I write about this in the last chapter about you know, spiritual hacking, techniques that get you to the spiritual states faster. And one of the things that I did for a year is every night before bed, I would write down a happiness number from 1 to 10. Mm. Like how happy am I with my life, with my relationships, with my progression in my career and families. It's all this stuff. Just kind of like, eh, how good was today? Right. And you, and I just track it. I'd graph it over time. And, and then I ended up plotting that graph against a bunch of other stuff. And in, in fact, for that experiment, it was a frequency of male ejaculation. <laughs> there, yes. And I published all the data and yes, there is, there is an ejaculation hangover for men. That's probably for another podcast. Okay. I, I was trying to prove there wasn't one, but I was wrong. So, uh, but what you find though, is that subjective ability to say, how am I doing right now is something that you only have when you develop meta awareness, which is awareness of how you feel. And, and it's a practice and it's a core thing behind journaling, for instance, which is another really good way to do this. And when you do that, you start to realize that when you turn up your energy, the quality of your life goes up and you're happier all the time. Yeah. And you can also have a ton of energy and be pissed off and angry all the time. Like that happens a lot. In fact, a lot of social media, some some of the, the current in vogue movements actually encourage people to be outraged. How dare you? Yeah. That kind of an energy. Absolutely. That is not healthy energy. That is manipulative energy and it's yeah. dirty. So you can be high energy and manipulative or manipulated, or you can be uh, what I call dangerous. And that's why coffee, my coffee is called Danger Coffee. P there's two kinds of peace in the world. Uh, one kind of peace it comes from people who are so tired and weak and downtrodden. They're peaceful because they got there's nothing in the tank. Yeah. The other kind of peace is from people who are full of power and energy that, that who knows what they might do. They can do whatever's right. They'll ask that person out. They'll start a company. They'll say no to stupidity. And mm -hmm. they'll help the little old lady across the street because they have whatever it takes. Those are the people who are, are capable of the greatest acts of kindness and peace because they yeah. chose it not because they were forced into it. I'm working on building that kind of world because I yeah. want to hang out with those people. Yeah. Well, there's this concept in in Buddhism in a Sanskrit word known as upeka, okay. which is transliterated really as equanimity. I um, love it. That's like in the book, right? It's in the book. And, you know, equanimity has this um, reputation of being kind of very passive, this sort of limp kind of conciliation. Oh, not, not at all. No. 
in fact, the way I've begun to understand equanimity is actually bringing your full vibrant self to the present moment mm -hmm. without overconnection to result. Yes. So you do right action, even if it doesn't give you the results you want. That's right. Um, I've, I've had some big <laughs> lessons uh, in, uh, in my life over, uh, over that principle. And even the idea of equanimity, it, it's, it's higher than compassion. It's higher than empathy in Buddhist teachings. Um, the reason my first big company, actually probably third big company, but first big, I started it from scratch company, um, was called bulletproof. It is, is that's a description of the state of equanimity. Like I feel bulletproof, right. like nothing can, nothing can stop me. Nothing can harm me, which means I can bring my full power to bear on whatever I'm working on. Right. Cause I don't, I'm not worried all the time. That's right. Um, yeah. I mean, to, bring things full circle. I mean, our, the window of free will is kind of barely cracked for us in some ways. We have, there's yeah. so many things between genetics and epigenetics and our environment and the time in which we were born and our morphology and our skin color and our meat OS, yeah. and our biological imperatives and randomness and links of prior causes and, and causal and events. bad actors in the world around and, you. Yeah, yeah. All of this stuff that's out here of things that we can't control, but where it seems like we do have some agency moment to moment is where we can focus our attention. Amen. And we can focus our attention to reify certain things in our lives that can then change future uh, causal events. And that's really how we can bend the arc of history of our own personal life, but also the world around us. Cause we, part of being well is also that the people around us are well and mm -hmm. that society is well. And if, you know, I have honestly like a lot of compassion for what's happening kind of in this country right now, politically and how polarized it is and just how angry people are. But I, I think of people, you know, who wake up, who have, three or four different chronic diseases who can't afford their insulin and that some other cocktail of polypharma. Um, they, uh, maybe they have neuropathy, maybe they have retinopathy, maybe they're, they're probably overweight. You know, all of that kind of personal inflammation is flowing directly over into society. And until we can yeah. really help our society you know, our, our people to be well, I don't think we're going to solve some of these, the, the kind of the political invective and the vitriol people. When you don't feel well, you're a jerk. <laughs> and I, I love that. I, I was the biggest jerk ever when I was sick. I, I mean, I, I think I had extra muscles around my middle finger just for my morning commute. <laughs> and and I, I'm not proud of that at all. I mean, I, I was a jerk because I didn't have uh, enough energy to yeah. control my behavior when I was experiencing emotions. And this is such a common thing, but it, it goes deeper than what you said, which was really deep it, in, in quantum mechanics, the, the real quantum mechanics, not that, you know, I, I have quantum milk for you or whatever these things people <laughs> overuse yeah. that in marketing. Um, when you put your focus on something, you collapse a probabilistic waveform into reality. Right. So if you have the freedom to control your focus because you have enough energy, because you have a trained mind, because your system works well, because your meat OS obeys you instead of you obeying it, you will collapse the reality or collapse the waveform into a reality that's the one you choose instead of the one your fearful, monkey-minded meat OS will choose for you.
Mm-hmm. You get to choose, but only if you're in charge. Amen. Smarter, not harder. Okay, Dave, I so appreciate your work, your time, your exuberance, your passion. Thank you. And uh, you're just a wonderful connector as well. You put a lot of people um, in community with one another. And, you know, I was the founder of Wanderlust. So I saw for 10 years the power of community. Yeah, we created a lot of wonderful events and brought some teachers and people had uh, epiphanous experiences. I I spoke there several times. I love Wanderlust. (laughs) But I think the real magic there happened in the spaces where people could just uh, connect. And I see that at the biohacking conference all the time. Um, I've made some absolutely beautiful and fruitful um, relationships at the conference. And uh, you do such a tremendous job um, bringing brilliant people together. And I know it means a lot to people. So thank you for all your work. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you for listening to my conversation with the father of biohacking, Dave Asprey. Please check out his new book, Smarter, Not Harder. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you're a regular listener, well, you have a sense for how much effort we put into the show's creation, and we really do our best to keep ads to a minimum. So if you're looking for a way To support our efforts, the best way is to subscribe to the Commune course platform. You'll access more than 100 courses featuring the world's top authors, doctors, and thought leaders. And you can check it out for free, no strings attached, for 14 days at onecommune.com slash trial. Of course, I'm here all the time. So feel free to reach out to me directly at jeffk at onecommune.com. Lastly, and not leastly, I'd like to thank the folks that make this show possible week over week, including Jacob Lau, Megan Stone, Violet Augustine, Silvana Alcala, Wellington Gonzalez, and Ryan Tillotson. Okay, that's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you. <laughs>